Welcome to Tales of a Per Entrepreneur with your host, Dr. Biz, aka Jamie Reeves. Welcome to Tales of a Per Entrepreneur, a podcast that tells the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And if you're a business owner and parent, I salute you as they are two of the hardest things you can do, and you are doing both together. I'm your host, Jamie Reeves, aka Dr. Biz, and on today's episode is a guest who is to marathon running like Smashy and Nicey are to charity work. He doesn't like to mention it. Andy is a husband, father and marketeer, 20, 16 and 28 years experience, respectively. He loves running his own business and helping clients grow, but success for him begins at home. Co-founder of the anti-marketing agency Codebreak, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Andy Rao. Brilliant. I should do a drum roll, but my shoulder's hurting, so I can't. How, how are you, Andy? Yeah, good. Thanks. That's, the, that's the best introduction I've ever had, I think, Jamie. Nice good. one. I, I, I like to kind of bring my showbiz pizzazz to the podcast and, and kind of give it some, really. Um, so, you're an entity marketing agency. What have you done that you would describe as anti-parenting? Anti-parenting? Bloody hell. Um we let our kids make a lot of decisions. Um, maybe that's not anti-parenting now. It certainly was my parents' generation. You know, we didn't get a say in anything. Now our children are very much involved. Something we nicked off our mutual friend Joe Woodhouse is we sit down every Sunday evening as a family, plan what we're going to do in the week. Obviously, the kids don't always get what they want, but it's like, what would they like to do? Um, how's everything going? And plan the week ahead because you know um, if it doesn't get written down, it doesn't get done. Um, so, so maybe anti-parenting is a bit like, um, we protect our diary in our day viciously. Um, and cause otherwise, otherwise life gets in the way. And before you know it, you, you know, your kids are 20 years old and you think, oh shit, I didn't spend much time with them. Um, and I probably learned that from my dad because he, he didn't have many regrets in life, but towards the end of his life, he had a regret that I think probably perhaps a lot of our parents' generation did. They think, Hmm. I probably worked too hard and I probably didn't see you and your brother as much as I could have done. Um, and you know, things like that, you, you really remember, um, yeah. and uh, anti-parenting. Yeah. I probably just let my, let my kids have what they want. They know, don't go to mum, go to dad. Um, but yeah, if you, if you can't give your kids stuff, you know, you're missing out and I know it's too soft, but yeah, I, I, I love, I love spoiling them. I love spoiling them and maybe that'll come back and bite me. I don't know. And you've got two girls, right? Yeah, yep. Um, back when I was a naughty boy as a teenager and in my twenties, um, people always used to joke that uh, karma has a funny way of biting me in the arse. And they and my friend, my friend Addy, when I was working at ITV, I remember as if it was yesterday, he turned around to me and said, after after a particularly uh, uh, particularly late encounter in a nightclub, he said, uh, "You know, you're only going to have children that are girls, don't you?" And I laughed, and and now yeah, <laughs> I've got two daughters. Um, wouldn't have it any other way, but now they're teenagers and they're talking about boys and meeting boys. Yeah, it's, it ain't nice. Yeah, my my daughter in the last week or so is saying, I I, I want a boyfriend, I, I want to be taken, and she's like 11, and I'm like, well, who are the boys in your class that you fancy then? She goes, I don't, they're all ugly. I'm like, oh, what do you want to be taken for then? Just, I just want to be, have a boyfriend. So it is, is a scary thought, isn't it? So... 
talk to me about your upbringing then of uh, of how your upbringing is was different back in the day to how you were bringing up your kids now what was Andy rather the childlike um my my parents both my parents are a doctor and nurse mm-hmm. um say so they work very hard um this was in the day bef- in the days before like community GPs like shop doc none of that existed so my dad would be in the surgery from eight in the morning till six in the evening and then he'd be on, he'd be on call till late in the morning so I'd hear him go out at 10 at night come back I'd hear him go out at one in the morning come back here and he'd still be in the surgery at eight in the morning and I don't know how he how he bloody did it so so I did see a lot of dad um and certainly something I should have learned earlier is that when he was with me he was with me and of course, yeah. back in those days, he didn't have the distractions of the mobile phone, but he was present. And that's something um, I think I think my youngest daughter, she was eight years old when she pointed that out to me that I, I didn't spend. I did. I thought I spent time with her. And at eight years old, she pointed out that I did. But I also spent time with her on my phone. And, and that was a harsh lesson, but one that's put me in good stead, hopefully. So. So, yeah, I, I had a great childhood, you know, mum, dad, brother. Um, I had to grow up fast because they were working so hard. So I had to help help my brother with homework, cook for him, look after house, all that kind of stuff, um, which is sort of like what dad had to do, you know, growing up in India, bloody hell, back in the 30s and 40s, you know, he, he had to help run the house. So that, that's, that's, that's what I did. Whereas I think uh, even my kids would admit that they don't lift a finger in the house. And that's, again, I'm far from a, far from a, the perfect parent. I try and get some things right, but uh, I'm sure a lot of parents would be like, no, your kids have to pull their own weight and they wash the car now and then. But, I just remember all the the chores I had to do. Not yeah. that I begrudged it. I don't want them having to do all that stuff. They they've got. I think the pressure on kids now is a lot more than the shit that we had to deal with. They they got a lot of societal pressures now, so, so they've got stuff to deal with that I didn't have to. So I do cut them quite a bit of slack at home. Yeah. So my kids do very few um, jobs around the house because. We're letting them be kids. Um, mm-hmm. The media does all the dancing and all the other things, and then probably comes home, quickly grabs something to eat, and then she's straight up to her room and is on call with her friends and, and playing with her friends. And, and Jack is the same, and Charlie's only seven. So, yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from that and the pressures of social media kind of really playing an impact in bringing up children. So yeah. how does somebody who grew up in quite a public sector household then become an entrepreneur? What what was your journey to to starting your own business? Um, I started my own business late because of what I saw my dad go through. So he was a GP. So in, the, in those days, might might be the same with some GPs now. He it, it was his practice. He owned it. It was his business. Right. Um, but of course, he didn't have the luxury like me and you do of being able to say yes and no to clients and potential clients. He yeah. had to help everyone, and it took me a long, long time to realise as a as, as as entrepreneurs, we don't have to say yes to everyone we don't have to help everyone in fact if you try and help everyone lots of people will suffer including yourself and your loved ones but yeah my dad I mean bloody hell I remember being sat down one Christmas lunch so Christmas dinner um and the phone rang he was on call uh, as usual and it was some woman saying oh my son he's at death's door you must come and see him so dad left left Christmas lunch he left the table to go came back you know an hour or two later and what was it um and basically the kid was hung over um, and he wasn't angry. It was just, he's, he's, he's like, that's, you know, that's, that's the way some people are and how he never got angry about shit like that. It's like bloody hell. Um, 
But even though I remember he said to me once, he said, you know, despite all the, the, the trials, there's nothing like being your own boss, bringing home your own paycheck. Um, so I sort of had, had saw it from both sides, which is again, maybe why I did become an entrepreneur, but perhaps later than I should have, should have done. Um, because yeah, I, I, it's only, to be honest, it's only after my dad passed away, I realized what looking back and analyzing stuff, he actually taught me quite a lot that I didn't really realize at the time. So when you first started working for yourself, then was it kind of like working all the hours God sends to kind of get things up and running or, or did you kind of learn the the lessons that were kind of told to you in the background? If I'm trying to think of a better way, subconsciously taught to you. Mm, no, I, I was to- I totally behaved like my dad did. Um, the kids weren't around at that time when we started our business, our first business. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just me and Emma and we both, um, had given up well-paid jobs in London to move back to Shropshire. Um, and, and we didn't have a pot to piss in really. So it was sink or swim. Um, and I think sometimes when you're starting to, when you, when you're trying to start a business, but you have, you know, maybe you've got lots of money saved away. You've got a bit of a fallback. Maybe you don't go in a hundred percent. We didn't have a choice because, because literally we had to pay ourselves almost like with petrol money. So a hundred calls a day, I'd go out, the, you know, me and Em would go out and pitch in the evenings, weekends, it didn't matter. And from, a, you know, before the days of social media, from a standing start, we, we did okay within six months. Um, and obviously now I know the relationship people have with the phone has changed drastically, but sometimes you can't get um, a client to make one phone call to a lead. And I was like, just on the phone, like, you know, 100, 120 dials a day. Um, because, well, you said this to me recently it gets to the point where you know how many no's you need to get to get a yes. Yeah. Um, and that's something I realized. I was like, cause um, one of the things mum and dad did make me do, and they didn't make me do much, but they, they made me join the Cub Scouts when I, when I was young, get out, fresh air, all, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things we usually had to do quite a lot was raise money for different charities. And that was when you had a sponsorship form and you'd go knocking on the doors of the local estate. So from a young age, I was quite used to having doors slammed and told to fuck off or whatever. But even as, you know, when I was eight or nine, I realized, well, okay, well, basically every sort of five no's I get, I get a yes. And so being told no, being told to fuck off never really bothered me. Whereas for some people, you know, for some of our clients, it is hard, that that fear of rejection and things like that. Whereas, again, because we didn't have a choice, we had no money, we, we did whatever we did whatever it took. Um, and And sometimes I think a lot of people could do with something like that to like... F- not feel the fear and do it anyway but you know to to have you know we love the fear pyramid where you know your big your big fear your big worries at the top but at the bottom row you've got your little fears and you start ticking them off and move your way up um and and so you know for some people that big fear is is selling okay well let's break that down what are the little things you can do to start you on that journey because there's no growth in your comfort zone which we all know that's probably my biggest learning of last year is that we all spend so much time trying to get comfortable, um, mm-hmm. whether within our personal lives, whether in our business lives. And yet comfortable is, is where the danger zone is, if you like. Um, it's We should be getting to the uncomfortable bits because that's where the growth is. That's where the exciting bits is. And, and that's where the things that happen is. But we all kind of seek to kind of sit back in the chair and eat our quality street. And, and instead, if we just pushed ourselves that little bit more um 
and face that rejection, then it would be better for our business and, and better for our personal lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, nothing great was ever achieved in the comfort zone. And some people take it extreme. You've got people like David Goggins who, who they're just never comfortable. Yeah. But for most of us mere mortals, it's just, you know, stepping one foot out of the comfort zone, you know, getting out of the comfort zone like once a day or twice a week, whatever. But that's where, that's where the growth and the rewards are. And sometimes, like you say, you're comfortable, it's nice, but maybe you don't fulfill your potential or, or end up helping as many people as you could have done. Yeah, I totally remember my first ever singing performance. Um, I was at Haven and we were at this training seminar and we all had to sing like 30 seconds to a minute or something. I was holding the microphone like I was waving to my mum. It was kind of like this. <laughs> what do you sing? Video for, if you're listening to it on the podcast, my knees were doing Elvis impressions. Um, right. But I got through it. And now when I go, go out and stroll gig, not that I gig very often anymore, um, I just switch the music on, turn around, chest out, away we go. It's really, really simple. But that's going from somewhere that was uncomfortable and that repetition, repetition, repetition to make it comfortable. So you talked a little bit about allowing your kids to fail. Um, so what kind of relationship do your kids have with failure? Um, I've got two kids and I say the, the youngest one, it's probably more water for ducks back for whatever reason. It doesn't bother her so much. Um, the eldest one, we, we, we've done a lot of work together. Um, Jocko Willink's books. Um, I, I believe we're, we're of help in that as well. Um, yeah. And it's, it's those baby steps, you know, I, I don't want to be, I, I don't think I've ever been a competitive dad, but it's, it's not being too pushy. It's like, okay, you're scared about something. Talk to me about it. And I think, you know, I know a lot of parents these days, they do have that good, open and honest relationship with their children. Um, and if something's bothering either of my kids, they know that my door, Emma's door is always open. So when they're scared about something, so it could be an exam or whatever, you know, we talk about, so for example, Maddie, my eldest, um, she did her GCSEs last year and she was really worried. She was really worried a lot of, and, and I think there is more pressure on kids now than before. And, and I said, listen, I'd, It'd be nice if you got good grades, but that isn't that that won't bother me. What will bother me is your your work ethic, your attitude towards revising. So I said, if you if you study hard, I don't care what grades you are you get, and we'll do something nice and we'll go away. We did we went to Paris at, at Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's as a as a reward, because not only did she pass all her GCSEs, she had put the work in. But it's having those initial conversations because she's scared. She's scared she won't be able to study enough. She's scared about the exam. She's scared what the headmistress might say, all that. And it is, I think, just breaking it down because – and also telling them what I'm scared about, you know, because I'll, I'll often talk about, oh, well, you know, I was scared about making a big phone call or I was scared about a judo competition or I was scared to, – to know that we all fear it. And, in fact, I was talking to – um. I was talking to Lee Matthews on, on, on our podcast last week, and he owns like the biggest chain of martial arts centers in, in the UK. Um, and he, he talks a lot about fear, a lot about, um, about being, about being open. And also to know that it, well, Lee said that sometimes the biggest, scariest, loudest people, they're the ones who are actually, the, the, the most scared that they're the, they're the ones who with the least amount of confidence but because maybe they've got all the gear they look the part they give it all that you think oh shit they must be really good 
whereas that's not always the case. So sometimes I think our children, they see a lot of these superhumans and supermodels and impossibly beautiful people who've got perfect lives on social media. But then you're like, actually, that's not always the case. And of course, what happens is regular clockwork, these people every three months, they have a public meltdown, they cry everywhere. And right, that's that's a reality. That's that's where they, they're just like the rest of us. Um, and I guess that's just social media stuff that we didn't have to deal with. Um, but hopefully we're all communicating with our children about the fact that you see a certain side of people, you don't see the real them, and that they feel fear um, and they fear, they fear failure just as much as anyone else. Yeah, totally. The, the ones that are the loudest are definitely the ones that are putting on that kind of physical front and, and presenting themselves as Insta-ready. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the story I always tell is that my it was um, uh, in my first ever judo match at uh, basically the veterans category because I'm an old fart. And my first my first fight, I looked across the mat at my opponent, and his gi was undone, and he was ripped. I mean, six pack and everything. So, uh, so I lost the fight before I stepped on the mat, and I got bronze that day. But two of the people I beat had beaten him. Right. So if I hadn't let him get in my head just because he looked apart, I probably would have got gold or maybe silver. Yeah. And I've always remembered that. Yeah. Just because someone has got the designer gear and uses jargon, oh God, they're, they're fancy words. They must know their stuff. That ain't that ain't always the case. And I think that's that's quite a good thing to to talk to your children about. Yeah. So what are the lessons that you've learned with your kids then that you um, have brought into your business because you've got quite a young team at code break with mm-hmm. some of the team members starting at apprenticeship level and then <laughs> working their way up through the ranks. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned from, from being a parent to almost parenting really your workforce? Regular beatings. Um, <laughs> oh no, you can't, can't say that. Um, That's all <laughs> um, active listening, I think is a good one. Um, and, and that, that all starts again when, with Holly when she was eight and she said, yeah, it's not just you, it's you and your phone. So being present and generally listening to people, um, you know, something something else my dad said was God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them in that ratio. And that that was his first bit of dating advice. And I thought, what, what a funny thing to say. But of course, you grow up, you get older and wise, you realize, shit, that's dating. That's making new friends. That's sales. I mean, such an important part of selling. You know, most salespeople, they just talk at you. You know, oh, we've got 50 offices. We've got this number. No, no ask questions and listen to their answers. So I, I hope with the guys here that when I ask them questions, I am generally listening to what they're saying rather than just like, you know, soft soaping them. Um, and, and I think active listening, not, not that many people do, especially, especially in business. They're all, we're all naturally, I guess, selfish and thinking about ourselves, but asking powerful questions, showing a genuine interest and thinking, what can I do to help you? And generally speaking with the guys, at least a couple of times a week, I will be, what can I do to help? Not, is there anything I can do to help? That gives a yes or no answer, which is another another massive sales tool. Um, what can I do to help? And and no one asks that generally in business. They're all just thinking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And it's that whole thing. Well, obviously you do it as well. Leading with value. Um, but yeah, that whole it being present, listening, that probably did all start back in the day when when holly was little and and when a kid notices something generally speaking you should listen because they're they're the best you know my degrees in psychology and my tutor always used to say the best psychologists are children but i say there's three things that speak the truth 
alcohol, kids, and leggings. <laughs> yeah, you never see me in a pair of leggings. Um, so you're, you're bang on though about about listening. When we when we come to do our, our sales calls with the best singing waiters, it's very much about listening to what the customer wants. And when I'm doing my sales in, um, interviews to hire new members for the team, one of the things I always ask them is, "What do you think the most important skill is within selling?" And the amount of people that don't say listening is is really really sad. Uh, there are a few that get it, but then those are the ones that are like, yeah, tick 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 tick, because we really want you to join our team. Because if you get that listening is the most important bit about selling, then you'll you'll do well. So, tell me a little bit about your your agency. Then, how did that all come about? Um. So. So my wife and I ran an ads agency and it was going well. Um, and we met this bloke called Joel at a, one of those breakfasts, you know, those bacon bap kind of meetings. Um, and he was uh, had some skills in it as a web designer amongst many other skills. And we basically started doing quite a few collaborations. So, you know, my background is really copywriting, um, like writing ads, writing blogs, email, whatever. Um, so when it came to like website gigs, I would do the content and Joel would do all the pretty stuff and the tech stuff. So we started doing more and more together, more and more together uh, till pretty much every job, you know, whether it was social media again, you know, he'd do the tech stuff, I'd do the writing. Um, so it just made sense to merge and that's, that's how code rate was born. And, um, but we realized that you can't do it all like trading time for money just didn't suit either of us. So even though you're know, having a team comes with its own challenges we know we, you know, to grow the business, we need to do less of the doing, and and more of the, more more of the marketing, more of the the customer generation, and have the guys doing the day to day stuff. And to be honest, you know, we always want to learn, but we can't just carry on learning more and more and more about marketing, marketing channels. We need to learn more about about uh, management, about business ownership, about entrepreneurship, and the guys do the technical learning because obviously social media, for example, is changing all the time. So one of their jobs is to make sure they're up to date with it so they can keep our clients ahead of the curve. Whereas me and Joel, even though we do some of the day-to-day still, I've got to be honest, that's some of it we enjoy. Most of it is focusing on growing and protecting the business. Um, and there's so much bullshit in our game. That's why we always say we're an anti-agency. Generally speaking, you know, pe- people don't know what the agency is doing with their money. Um, they they don't answer the phone. They They miss deadlines. They use jargon and all this shit. We we offer a very transparent service. You know, there are agencies who are still running clients' ads through their own ad accounts just so they can get the Amex points and have control. Whereas, you know, all the ads we run for clients are through the client's own ad accounts. So if they want to leave, whatever, that, that's that's their property as far as we're concerned. Wish you all the best off your trot rather than, okay, off your fuck, but you ain't getting your ads. They're mine. And it's all that kind of stuff going on. Not not in every agency, of course, but it's, it's, it's quite endemic. And we want to make sure that that's, that's not how we how we operate uh, and Joel and I both had quite similar upbringings on that, on that side of things, um, which, which I'm very grateful for that cutting corners just, just shouldn't, shouldn't be done. So how did you transition then? Because if, if you love doing the do and then all of a sudden you've got a team because you're wanting to leverage your time better, how easy was it for you to, to let go of those tasks that you enjoyed doing and then trusting somebody else to to do them, oh, bloody nightmare. 
<laughs> um, yeah, it's that 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 control. It's it's hard to let go. And you know, someone said to me a long time ago, if you can get your team to perform at sort of seventy percent, be happy with that. Um, and which was a bit eye-opening. I'm not saying I wanted 100%, but, you know, 99 or something, but 70%. Um, and being cool with that and realising that even though mistakes might happen, the good outweighs the bad. And so all that time you've still saved, you could be focused on other stuff, which could be spending more time with your family. It could be growing the business. But when you, when I looked at the people that I looked up to in business, my peers, well, what are the similarities between them? They're not getting their hands dirty in the trenches years down the line. Well, I want what they got. So, you know, I might not listen to one person, but if five successful people are all doing the same thing, I'd be pretty stupid not to do it. Um, and and when I make a decision like that, I find it good to to, to make that commitment to, to my partner, to Emma, or to have someone in your life that you're, you're accountable to. Say, right, I'm going to do this now instead of that and, and, and make a promise. Um, just like anything big I'm going to do, I'll generally talk about it on social media or tell the team or Joel or Emma so, so they can hold me accountable. So I can't, I can't let them down and give up because there are plenty of tough things out there that you think, just be easy not to do that, not to make that sales call, not to have that meeting, not to go for that run, whatever it might be. But if you've put your ass on the line publicly, there's a bit more of an incentive to do it. Yeah. So what happens then when, because I'm sure it has done, because none of us are perfect. But what happens when you publicly declare something and it doesn't get done and you fail and, and life gets in the way? How does how do you deal with that? Um, I'm trying to... I'm sure that has happened. I'm trying to think. I've got, I've got to be honest. This sounds pretty arrogant now, but we, we run quite a tight ship. And... Yeah we are clear with the team. If you're going to give a client a deadline that needs to be hit or, yeah. or even, you know, pre pre deadline. Um, maybe there's been a couple of times where we've said a client will get something on a Tuesday and it's happened on a Wednesday. Maybe that's gone on. I don't know about it. Generally speaking, being realistic with things like deadlines is important, of course. And, and I'm all, you've, you've got to push yourself. We've talked about the comfort zone, but the goals you set do also have to be realistic you know, there can't be something that's so bloody, you, you just know the pressure and the expectation will be too high. So we do set realistic goals, realistic deadlines, whether that's personal or in business. And so things don't slip through the net very often. I've got to be honest. But then, you know, our team is relatively small. If if there were like 50 people in the team, uh, yeah, I, I, I probably couldn't answer that question. But the thought of having 50 people in the team, bloody hell, not for <laughs> me. Don't. How do you look after yourself then? Because obviously you've got a lot going on with your business, um, a lot going on with your family too. I always think that it, it's key to put your own oxygen mask on first because if, if you're not being the best person that you can be, then that's going to affect everything else mm. that's around you. So how do you go about looking after yourself? Um, so so I've got, I guess, non-negotiables. Um, I know if I don't exercise regularly, work will suffer so even though you think well i've got to look after clients first it's like well no you'll you'll be doing them a disservice if you like well like you say if you don't put on your own oxygen mask first um luckily i've got um a couple of dogs so there's just no way i can get up and go to work without walking them so whether it's raining a storm snow it, it minus 10 it doesn't matter they need to be walked first thing that's the routine they're in so i always you know so you know most days i will do a 5k walk 
with them um, pretty early in the day. So that's good. Then I'll do, you know, um, jujitsu or go to the gym or bike or run or something. So that's, and then, then Paul Mort, you know, he said to me when he was on the podcast, um, mental health needs physical support. Um, and that, that really, yeah, I've got, you know, got to look after myself. Um, and so, but that comes back to journaling It comes to diary management. And, you know, if, if you don't own your diary, some other bugger will, life will find a way. So whether it's exercise goes into the diary, um, a number of sales call goes in the diary, lunch, a walk with the family, dinner, whatever it might be, we guard our diaries pretty, pretty close. And, and that's how stuff gets done. So even if the team here, you know, if they want a meeting with me or Joel, they have to go into Calendly and they can book a time that's good for them, but also good for us. Um, yep. And that's how stuff gets done. Because otherwise, yeah, just, you know, life will get in the way unless you block that time off first. And, you know, time is the time is the currency of life. And obviously the older I get, the quicker the years go by and you think, shit, yeah, I've got to be. You know, I, I did have a problem with the whole auction masking. So I was like, well, what is that being selfish? But then okay, I keep thinking about my dad, about how, you know, he, he sacrificed quite a lot of his health because he always put his patients first. Yeah. You know, and and that's like, no, you you, you, you can't do that. Um, but that requires ongoing work, like always learning, reading, listening to people far cleverer and more experienced than me. And again, well, if these five people are saying this, I must do that. And when you look at people like, I don't know, bloody Branson, Ballantine, who, whoever, generally speaking, these kind of big guys and ladies, they're, they're in shape. They look after themselves. Yeah. So, you know, got, got to be something there. Yeah, definitely. So when you're planning your diary then, um, are you putting family and personal stuff in first or is it business? How do you go about winning the week and, and getting all that scheduled? So the, the first thing for, for us is to, at the end of every quarter, plan what we'd like to do the next quarter is that as a we, business a family as a family um so so that's the first thing we do so um i'm not saying things like you know a family dog walk around Attican park has to go in um but if it's like well actually we haven't done that for ages let's put that in because again otherwise it won't happen so um you know we tend to plan business a year and ahead and then family stuff quarterly but then, you know, we break it down weekly and daily, you know, to have those right on a Sunday night. What do we want to do? Right. OK, well, we haven't been to the cinema for ages. This film's out. Let's get it booked. Let's get it in the diary now. Um, now, my mum thinks it's really sad. You know, she's oh, oh, you, you're never spontaneous. You rule by your diary. But yeah, that, that's that's how we get shit done, um, yeah. because this whole oh, I don't have enough time. It's it's, it's bollocks. You know, it's. I don't think it's a case of time man time management is is it's impossible. It's a case of priority management. So what's important to you and allocate time to that. Um and then the business, you know, you always need a bit of leeway because sometimes shit does happen in business. But to know, right, okay, well here's here's our um here's our strategy, our mission for for twenty twenty four. Okay, that's where we want to go to. Right, so what are the quarterly goals we need to hit to move us along the journey, to move us along that straight line? Because you know, a, a strategy without an action plan is just a fucking expensive piece of paper. So you've got to know, right, these are the things I need to tick off along the way. And it all comes back to those baby steps. So these are things I need to do in quarter one to move me to my yearly goal. So these are things I need to do this month. These are things I need to do this week. And these are things I need to do today. 
And generally speaking, you know, we're a big fan of Eat That Frog. And, you know, when, when someone joins a team here, that's the main book they have to read. So you've got some shit you don't want to do, but you have to do it to move yourself forward. Get it done early. Get it done first thing. So with that goal setting then, as, as have you started teaching your kids that about... So I was speaking with Jack last night um, and he's an aspiring footballer um, and he's doing really well. He's made loads of progress, but but sometimes he doesn't, for where he wants to be, he doesn't, for me, put in the amount of work that I believe he should be doing. Now, maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong. That's totally different conversation for for another day. But I kind of had a quick thing to myself and was like, I spoke to him before around Christmas holidays and said, right, get some goals down and, and kind of chunk it down to where you want to be in like three years, one years, quarterly, 30 days, and then you've got your plan for the week. And he didn't do it. And then this week, of because the weather's not been so great and a few training sessions have been cancelled, he's more and more on Fortnite, more and more doing the things that teenage boys do. Um, and I... I was convinced that it's because he doesn't have those little steps to keep him on key to right. This is the main, main aim. These are the things that I need to do to get to that main aim. Is that something that you've helped teach your kids? Yeah, it's not, um, it's nothing we force on them or religious about it, but certainly, you know, you, I believe you have to lead, lead by example. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids, oh, what you know, what are you doing? Oh, journaling, and how does that work? And and there are lots of these pretty cool journals for teenagers and stuff. So so we we definitely encourage them to do it, but it's not a case of like every Sunday evening at the team at the team at the family meeting saying, right, what are your goals for this week? It's more more of a chat, but they do know that right. Well, okay, like again, we manage GCSEs. Well, I know this is my week subject, so I need to allocate more time. And she, she got rulers out and she was drawing lines and things and graphs and, and highlighters and all that stuff and almost almost trying to gamify it. So it's, again, it's not something we, we force, but hopefully by showing them that that we do it ourselves. And Emma's, Emma's really, I mean, Emma's got about four journals on the go. She's, she spends a lot of every evening doing that and she 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 loves it um so when the kids see that happening all the time hopefully it sinks in and they think well there must be something in it they're not just telling us to do stuff they're telling they're recommending that they do stuff because because we do do it ourselves um just like when i was you know all these people who moan about how how much their kids are on technology it's like well what alternative are you offering no point saying to us saying to a teenager oh you know get off Fortnite or get off um roblox my eldest is on Okay, do what? Do something with them, you know. And so, so we don't really have screen limits, anything like that. If it's like if if I think they've been on their screens for a long time, well, come on, let's let's take the dogs for a walk. Come on, let's let's you know let's go to Waggers for lunch, whatever it might be. But doing something with them that that is a good alternative rather than just saying, oh, don't do that, mustn't do that. So, got to be honest. If if all this was around when I was a kid, bloody hell, I'd been gaming all day long. Yeah. Uh- that I do struggle with that sometimes because I do think if I'd have been grown up in his, with the things that he has around to do FIFA and Football Manager, I would have been that geek in the corner of the room, just kind of like like that all the time. So it it is, it's difficult because playing that and winning seven nil against the computer is is dead easy, whereas going to try and get yourself quicker or 
doing that repetitive kind of skill training it is hard. It's and it's probably not as much fun and not as quick a dopamine hit as as what playing a game of FIFA would be. You talked a, a bit about your wife there. Was she the one that kind of led you into journaling, or was it the other way around? Um, about the same time, really, because we're both interested in in similar things. So various entrepreneurs I follow. She 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 tends to follow more more women. I tend to follow more men. Um, and again, if they're all talking about the same thing, whether that's meditation, whether that's journaling, it's worth at least investigating because some stuff just doesn't work. The whole cold immersion thing, for example, there's pressure. You're a shit business owner if you don't jump in an ice bath for ten hours a day. Um, I'll have a. Yeah, I'll have a cold shower. Um, you know, I'll turn the shower cold at the end if I remember. That's enough for me. I, I don't need to to do the other stuff, but it's worth investigating. And so, you know, Emma was thinking about journaling and, you know, people she followed with journaling. So she tried, she enjoyed it. She got a lot out of it. And like I say now, so, you know, in um, Indiana Jones and the last crusade, Sean Connery um, has got that, like the, the grail diary, that cool leather bound, book with all these drawings in, it looks really cool and exciting. I mean, Emma's journals like that. It's, you know, and, and, and she's got, um, not sticky tape, what they call it, the, the pretty pattern tape that she uses and she'll do lines and, and use rulers and highlighters like Maddie. Um, and hey, if you get something out of it, it, who cares whether it's a placebo or not? Because um, sometimes I think, do I need do I need to journal? Do I need to? Maybe I do, maybe I do. But it's like just trust trust the process as long as you do it with, with intention. So rather than, oh, I'm, I must ice bath because everyone else does. Or I must journal because everyone else does. You know, you've got to go into it with open eyes, but but with intent. Yeah. Something just just won't just won't work for you. Ice baths are definitely not for me. I absolutely hate the cold. Uh, I'm one of those ones that when you go on holiday, even like to Cyprus in October, that the pool was that cold. I was staying out of it then, and I'm having to kind of force myself to be the the good dad to go into the pool. But with journaling, I find it very very different. I find that a, a, a lot better because it helps organize me and organize my thoughts and i'm like right i've got to do this this and this and this today and then when you come to the evening bit and you're writing down your wins of the day it's like actually today wasn't as shit as i thought it was um yeah acknowledging yeah that's something we do at every um monthly meeting with the team um it's like right write down your wins for the past month and every time they're surprised at how many they've they don't because unless you write it down, I don't think you do acknowledge those wins because some of those wins might might be tiny. Someone else might not even class it as a win, so it's got to be personal. But when you think shit, actually, yeah, even though the chips are down, I'm feeling a bit blue. I have actually won quite a lot. I've triumphed, and 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 that's where some more gratitude can come from. Um, but yeah, unless you write that shit down, you, you you probably don't even know it. How did you get your team involved in writing your wins then? Because I've tried a couple of times with my team and faced resistance from, uh, from different members. So how did you get get them to, to do that? I bribed them. <laughs> um, we, we generally, as a pizza, um, compulsory fun. Um, I've got to be honest, they, they've um, maybe a couple of them haven't wanted to do it. I don't know, but don't get a choice. It's part, it's part of the meeting. Right, first 10 minutes write down your wins and then we'll have a, a bigger quarterly meeting and then we'll have a big annual meeting. So last time we went to Belfast for like two or three days, got an Airbnb. Um, but try and do those monthlies, quarterlies, yearlies. 
and everyone will always be like, right, write down your win. So when it's a yearly one, sit there and thinking, right, okay, you, you could run the clock for half an hour or something because there'll always be wins if you just look and look and look. And that's why it's important, I believe, when you've had a shit day, that stuff's even more important because a win could be something as trivial as, you know, I got up when the alarm went off rather than hit snooze. Write that down. And you think, actually, yeah, it's been, yeah, it hasn't been as bad as I thought. To, to me, some days it's just, I had a nice tea. I mean, there's, there's a Facebook group called Doll Guys, and that, that win would definitely be in something like that. But sometimes when, when you've had not the greatest of day, just having something nice for your tea can be like, okay, well, that's gratitude. I'm better off than, than a lot of people in the world. Do you know what I mean? It's, it can be just as, as simple as, as, as that sometimes. I think, yeah, if, you, if you've, uh, what did I read? If you've got food in your belly, um, a roof over your head, and some money in the bank, you're better off than 94% of the world. Yeah. I know that might not make everyone feel better if they have had a really shit day or something generally traumatic has happened to them. But if it's just you're pissed off because of the traffic or you've had an argument with your partner, sometimes that kind of perspective makes you think, yeah, stop stop bloody feeling sorry for yourself. And you've got a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. You've talked a bit about um, reading and, and things th- through the podcast. What are some of the the books and things that you've gone to and, and the mentors that you've either directly or indirectly learned from, um, who, who have you gone, gone and sought out as you've grown your business journey? Um, oh, loads. I've always got books on the go. Um, Robin Sharma is a good one for me. Um, Arnie's new one, be useful. That's, that's, that's brilliant. Cause it's, it, it's, it's all about action, you know, yeah. not the whole, theory stuff this is this stuff you need to do um and so this one be useful really easy read as well i read it in a, in a night or two and that had some really good stuff in about about you know living a useful life contributing leading with value um let's say robin sharma the 5am club the everyday hero manifesto um then, you know, eat that frog the practical ones i get a lot out of um certain biographies some like like richard branson's one um Elon Musk's one, even um, Arnie's one, the Total Recall. If you want to learn about a work ethic, then something like hearing what he did to, to make money. So he was a millionaire before before the films all kicked yeah. off through through his property investments. Um, you know things like because he was an immigrant, he you know, before he was yep. into property. Yeah, him and his mate would frankly, win, yeah, bodybuilding competitions by weekend and then they were brickies during the week yeah yeah just it's putting those hours in like saying because he was an immigrant he could only he was only allowed to study a certain number of hours in a community college so he just joined like three or four community colleges so he'd do all that then the brick laying and the bodybuilding and going to the gym and all and it's like bloody hell and i'm you've got to work smarter I, i get that but you've also got you you've got to lift the weights and and do the reps so um so, so people who've achieved something in their life, like reading their story, I find really inspirational. But then I say the the practical books as well. Um, you know, there's so many marketing books out there, but now m- most of the stuff I read is about entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. I was thinking entrepreneurialism, no, entrepreneurship, um, and and about mindset. You know, stuff that I used to think was a load of bollocks. Um, so, so, so how to how to upgrade your thinking, how to be more focused, more, more productive, how to get more shit done in less time. 
yeah, I I love all that. So I don't read much fiction now, to be honest. Um, yeah. I think everything you need to everything you need to know is on a bookshelf somewhere. Um, like you can't see it, but behind us on the wall there, it's um, anyone who stops learning is old, whether at twenty or eighty. And Henry Ford said that. But sometimes I'll I'll be speaking to a potential new client, and it's obvious they know it all already. And it's like, yeah, we 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 can't help you. You just you won't listen and sing. Oh, sounds really bad now, but I just think that that must be really sad when you, you you're closed off to learning anything new. I find it bizarre, but there we go. Yeah, it's. it's I, I think that I've read more since I've left school than I ever did at school, and I've probably learned more since school than I ever did at school. If that makes sense. Um, doing different courses and sign up to different coaches and reading different books. I think it's such an important part of a business owner's journey to to continually learn and to continually upgrade themselves and their personality. Because as you grow your business, you'll you'll know from growing your team that not when you were the doer, the things that you had to learn then were different mm-hmm. to what you have to learn now to become a better leader to to help your staff and your kids as well, because being a leader isn't just about what you do in the workplace. It's about what you do at home too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think it must be, it must have been a Sherlock Holmes story. So Conan Doyle was writing, um, about how your mind's like, like an attic and you can, you have to choose what boxes you want to go in there. Cause at some point it's going to get full. Um, yeah. and you know, biologically, I'm sure that's not true, but I'm very careful of what I let in there. The people I let in there, the books I let in there, the kind of films I watch, whatever I try not to consume too much shit. I'm very careful about the kind of books I read. And, and certainly as I get older, the people I hang around with, which, which is difficult because again, because my mum and dad were always like being just so lovely to everyone and helping everyone. I'm like, actually you're, we don't click or you're not very nice or I don't think you're very nice. So I, why, why should I, waste your time and mine i'm going to move on to someone else um and, and being being more selective about who who takes up your headspace who takes up your diary because you know if you are the average of the five people you hang around with the most surely you want them to be to be driven to be to to be positive you know the radiators and drains you know in the past we've had people work here who they could fucking suck the joy out of a room you knew as soon as you walked in what kind of day everyone's going to have because of the mood that that person was in. Um, and that, that's, that, that could, that could be the best advice I've got on when you're recruiting some people, to be honest, um, in, in a small team, especially all it takes is one, one, one drain and the yeah. whole, the whole office culture can change. You definitely need the, the same birds of a feather flock together. Um, and yeah, I'm very yeah, exactly. Pronounce that as well. Um, so, you talked about um, having a, a really strong work ethic. So sometimes I think that as business owners, we can be either all in on the business or we're all in on our families. And I think it's very difficult sometimes to to get the balance of the two, two right, especially when we're wanting to get so much done. So how do you manage that? So, so, I think it probably came when when we started flipping it and looking at it as a as, as work life harmony rather than work life balance, which, which comes back to that thing about being present. Before it was like I must spend three hours a day with the kids. That then became I must spend one hour with the kids, 
but literally no distractions, nothing, just me and the kids. So, so less about the, 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 the quantity of time, but the quality of time. So I tend to be all in or not with, with most stuff we do. So if I'm at work, Emma might phone me and we'll have a quick conversation, but generally speaking, work's work. And when I'm at home, I'm much better than I used to be. When when we started off the business, it was work, work all the time. Um, I had very bad habits. I'd reply to clients' emails on a Friday night, on a Sunday. I became Mr. Available. You want to talk to me? Here's my mobile. Call me whenever. I made all those mistakes. Whereas now, home, generally speaking, is home. And, you know, it used to be a case, and oh, a shame to say, that the girls would come into the lounge and I'd be on my laptop and they'd be like, oh, that's working. They tipped her away. And that's like, shit, that's, that's bad. So, so if I work, it's work. If I'm at home, it's home. And I'm more about that, that, that being, being all in being present with them and being, being focused. And that's why I try, we try and have a few holidays, but not the big flash must go five star to Dubai. Just even if it's a weekend in Wales, but it's time for us as a family and not me on my mobile, not me on my laptop, just, just spending time together. Um, and, and I, and when, when I got my head around that, that it's not so much about the balance for, for us, it's about the harmony and, and the quality of that focus thing. I found it easier to do because yeah. at the beginning it was a bloody nightmare. It's tough. And we've all got these, these silly bloody things, the phones, and it's mm-hmm. such a distraction tool, which, Gives us great joy and entertainment, and helps keep keeps us communicated. But it also keeps us more distant as well. Um, so yeah, kudos yeah, to we, you. We, I'm I'm not ideal on my phone, but I'm much better than I used to be. You know, um, I, I've hadn't had work email on my phone for about ten years. Um, I don't um, I don't look at my any apps, anything like that, until after my dog walk. Um, so, you know, until ten o'clock basically. Um, I don't um, don't. Most of the time, I put my phone away at seven in the evening, so I'll put it in another room because it's all very well having, oh, I've got an, an app time checker. My screen's black and white, which means it's less visually appealing. The best thing to do is put your phone somewhere else because you can't be asked to go and get it. Uh, and so I think I have a better relationship with my phone than I did. But, yeah, it's 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 an amazing tool, but it's also, a, you know, when, when you see families out for meals and all four of them are on their phones or, you know, it's... Yeah, it's a bit, a bit sad, really. Again, that could just be me being me, me being an old fart. No, no, I, I totally get where you come from. For me, it's at gigs, or you're at a show, and or football, and everybody's watching it through their phone because they're recording that little bit of grainy fifteen second clip that they're never going to watch back. Uh, instead, just watching it, which I don't get. When you're at the football, they've got the big TV cameras there anyway. So if you want to go and watch it, just go to the social media pages, repost it and share it, and it'll come up on your Facebook memories anyway. So you've got a proper, decent copy of it. And instead, you can live the moment, experience the joy that, with the people that you go with, and it's just a much better experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's mad when you look at your screen time, you know, every week and you think, I can't have spent a day, an entire 24 hours on my phone. That's yeah that's mad but then you look at other people's numbers you're like shit i've got nothing to worry about yeah so i've got a few kind of last ditch questions to to kind of ask you um so what are the key three behaviors you would like to install into people behaviors oh god this this sounds a bit controlling um 
It's like, have you ever, um, we've not nicked this off the high performance podcast and probably that's, <laughs> they, they've um, probably got you... the trademark on pronouncing it and, and coming across a little bit better. So it's kind of the same thing as that really. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Sorry, Jake, um, listening isn't a behavior, is it? Is that, can I, can I yeah, say, I wish, that, I wish that everyone could, uh, could listen more than they talked. Yeah. Um, uh, I wish, uh, a lot of people um, led with, with value or asked that question. I said, like, what can I do to help rather than what can I take off you? Um, and, oh, third one. Oh, that's a tricky one. Remember that life's too short. Some of the shit you're... you're yeah. And I have this with my children sometimes. Again, they're, they're young and, and I wouldn't have understood or listened at their age either. But something that's maybe quite big to them, you just know in the grand scheme of things, they, they haven't got anything to worry about. Or they get caught and dragged into some gossip. And it's like all that kind of shit, just distance yourself from all that kind of irrelevance, all that noise. You know, it's, it's so, what I read, you know, the, the average person's exposed to more in, is it a day than someone pre-electricity age in, were exposed to in their entire lifetime? And just that, all that noise, switch that noise off. Uh, and I think about, I think about that. The, it's something Craig Gillespie said, you know, who, who we both know. He said, Mo, most magic moments don't cost money. And I was like, fucking hell, that's good. Because when I look back at times with my dad, you know, because of his work, we, we didn't go away lots or anything, but we had some nice holidays but I don't think back on the holidays or, or the nice car he treats himself to every year. I think about those little things like sat having dinner together, going to the cinema together, go, go for a walk together and a pre take, taking, um, taking joy about being present in those little moments. Um, but, but maybe that's something we only really, really appreciate as, as, as time go, goes on. Yeah. I think back to when Jack first started his football journey and we always used to play certain songs and I, I'd be there trying to get him into the kind of music that I liked. Um, and Papa was a Rolling Stone by The Temptations. Do you know that song? Nice. Yeah, that yeah. Like two minute intro and the bass on it and the strings. And he would kind of request that on Spotify. He'd probably die if he found out I was telling this story now because it's probably way too uncool. But um, yeah, th- those those early journeys of of him playing football it isn't about the football it isn't about going here there or anywhere it's just about that sharing my love of music to him and remember and and you know it'll one day it'll be some 70 year old man with his grandchildren and that song will come on somewhere on some magical device and he'll be like shit they'll be like grandkids my dad used to play this to me when i was So, what was the first record you ever bought, speaking about 150 years ago? Oh, first record I ever bought. I think it was Robert Palmer. What's the song with, uh, he had all the the women as his backing group? Uh, Addicted to Love. Yes, I think I think that was my, f- was that my first one? It was one one of the first ones, I bet, yeah. Like, mum would buy me all sort of little records when I was a kid. But yeah, that's probably probably one of the first ones I bought myself and what's the most probably probably really sexist that song now isn't it or that that video certainly would be 
Yeah, well, I don't know because, like, you've got Loved Cardi, it at the time. Cardi B rapping about certain things, and then they complain about stuff like that. So it's kind of uh. a little bit of give and take, really. <laughs> um, so, what's the most memorable place you visited? Doesn't sound memorable if I'm not th- having to think about it now, does it? <laughs> um, in India, um, I only went tw- twice um, because I went at such a young age. The the noise, the poverty shocked me um, to, to the extent that I, well, basically I still haven't gone back now. But in terms of making an impact um, and seeing just this this country on such uh, such huge uh, such huge scale, um, and you know, I, I remember being in this rickshaw going down this one street, and there were kids eating out of the gutter, shanties and everything. You turn the corner, and literally by the end of that next street, there were like houses with roofs made from gold and i was like what the fuck and so in terms of making impact one i was remember yeah yeah go, going to india as a kid so what are the top three books that you would recommend to people oh the everyday hero manifesto robin sharma um be useful arnie um and stay hungry by Codebreak. <laughs> If you want to get better at your digital ads, there, there, stay hungry. No, I can't, I can't plug my own book. Um, let's, let's see. If you're interested in ads and marketing, probably a hormosey, $100 million lead, something like that. But it does leave me on beautifully, almost as if it's segued, to where can people find you? Excellent. Um, simply visit codebreak.co.uk and you'll get a flavour for what we're about and what we're trying to do. Andy, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you very much for for giving me your time and and sharing your stories with me. Really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andy Rao. Appreciate it. Cheers, Jamie. Brilliant.